This is episode number 190, Be Happy, Be Borelli, with Yoan Borelli. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I think that if you are not yourself in life, then you're suffering. There is only one way to be happy. I think that's actually the key for happiness is to be yourself and to be true to yourself, to stay true to your words and to your heart. I think that being yourself is actually key in life for uh, happiness, for this whole thing. Life is a little bit deep. I really believe in life and I have a really strong spiritual uh, side of me that nobody really uh, knows about. I believe that there is something super powerful and uh, being true to yourself and connected to your heart is key for being uh, free and happy. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of my community. And if this is your first Sonia Lunu Show podcast, welcome. Couple of announcements before we get into it. If you haven't joined my free Plant Power Tribe Facebook group, I'm inviting you to do so now. And you don't have to be vegan or plant based to join. You just have to want to add in healthy habits and eat more plants. And that's what we're all about in there. And it's pretty cool. There's a lot of people that are collaborative and helping one another. And I've been really, really thankful to have this group. And there's over 2,000 people in there. So that's Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney on Facebook. And if you want to go further and want more of a deep dive into plant-based nutrition, especially for athletes, you can go to my other website, plantpowertribe.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and big thank you to those of you who have left us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Those make a really big difference in helping other people find the show so that they can get stoked too. We have a free weekly newsletter that comes out every Friday and you can sign up for that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. It's short, it's sweet, it's about the new podcasts for the week and any articles that I've written or come across and any type of giveaway that we are doing with any of my sponsors. So there's good stuff in there and I love hearing from you guys whenever you reply to that newsletter too. So let's talk about today's amazing guest, Yoan Varelli. And he's someone that I've been following for a while and someone that I follow closely because he always makes me smile and he'll make you smile too. One word used to describe him by many is that he is a character. He is known for his enduro mountain bike prowess, his super fun clown-like antics, his great coaching, his photography, and also his environmental efforts of lately to raise money and also to pick up trash. Yoan is seen as a positive and outspoken person on the professional racing circuit, as you've no doubt seen on his YouTube channel and his Instagram. He is also a dad. Yoan's focus has been on enduro and crushing the EWS series around the world on the bike, but he has a lot of other interests off the bike that he shares and that I align with as well. Yoan says, I want to make you laugh, to motivate you, to give you joy, to be this kick in, on the ass when you need it by being me through my own life experiences. And I was going to try to do that in his French accent, but I decided not to. <laughs> he has an awesome French accent. He's from France. At first glance, his infectious laughter and energy will entertain you, but there are many dimensions to Yoan. In this episode, he even talked about the spiritual side of his life, which he doesn't talk about that much. For Yoan, being alive is about being unapologetically true to yourself, and of course, not taking yourself too seriously and having tons of fun along the way, and he brings everyone else with him. We covered a wide variety of topics in this podcast. We talked about his mountain bike life beginnings in Europe, coming back from injury and how his career has evolved, the importance of being yourself. As I mentioned, we talked about his spiritual side and breath work. I asked him, what does it mean to be Borelli? And also, you guys submitted questions, questions like, how does he stay so positive? Topics like dealing with nerves and pressure. We talked about his trash pickup initiatives on the Sea to Sky Highway and how he's planning to carry that out around the world. We talked about why he eats a plant-based diet and his passion for the environment. And of course, more questions submitted by you guys. I love Johan's vibe and sense of humor, and I know that you guys will too. So let's get into this awesome episode. Johan! Hi. <laughs> so fun to get to actually talk. Like, I feel like you and I have sent lots of messages to each other, but we've never actually had a real conversation. 
No, we never did. I never saw you uh, for real. As a, I, I, I still might not actually exist. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you, maybe you are just an Instagram uh, figure or something. Or... That's right. I'm a computer-generated image. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now you exist. And we were yeah, gonna... nice to see you. And we were we were gonna ride one time, but I think I got too intimidated and we didn't ride. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. No. So I love this because. I first heard of you or, or saw like you, there's two different videos and I didn't realize it was the same guy, <laughs> but the, fir <laughs> the first one was, I think it was on Facebook and it was of you doing like a downhill run. And I just heard this guy like screaming in his helmet. <laughs> and I was like, I love, I was like, I love this guy. This, this is like what I would be doing if I was out there. And then the next one was you riding your cross bike in the Whistler bike park. Oh yeah. And you're like, oh, is that, is that the same dude? Yeah. I was like, can you do that? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. So like, how did this all start? Like this mountain biking life? Mountain biking life. Well, I started, uh, it's been a long time. I started when I was seven year old. And, um, so my brother, Nicola Filippi, we grew up in the same street as Nicola Vuyoz and Fabien Barrel. And one day we were playing in, uh, in our backyard and we had a trail coming by and there was this cross country race and Nico Vuyoz was actually racing. And I looked at my brother and my brother looked at me. And so he's four years, four years older than me. And he told me, I want to do that. And I was like, I want to do that too. So uh, next thing we know, we did our first race in the village just beside us. And uh, Fabien Barrel did it as well cross-country race and we basically all started uh, together so it was great so that was in 1993 uh, a long time ago and yeah like i think that this movement of us four starting to race like that kind of brought like a lot of kids from our village villages around us and i remember when i was like i don't know like 12 13 we were like 20 kids in the same village pay and we were all racing. It was amazing. Finishing school, on the bike trails, biking. Weekend, the same. Holidays, the same. We are just biking all the time. It was great. Yeah, and like most people didn't start riding, like in North America, like they weren't riding their bike in 1993. They started, uh, oh, I guess some people did, but uh, the people started late. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In Europe, it was kind of this movement and kids were actually racing like super young. It was cool. It was more fun. It wasn't like really racing. It was just like fun. So we're just like, is your brother yeah. older or younger? He's four years older than me. Oh, so whenever you guys are racing, so he was like 11. So he, was he faster because he was older? So he was faster, of course. So he started to race uh, right away cross country and he, he kept racing cross country. He became world champion in uh, 1999 in uh, Ore in Sweden. And, uh, like multi, like French, elite French champion and European champion wow. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was super good. And then he kind of stopped. He became a trainer and his career kind of changed, but it's, uh, it's cool. So he started cross country. I started cross country too. I was super good in trials at first. And, but I was scared in downhill. I was always mm. kind of, uh, yeah, I was this kind of uh, a little bit timid on the brakes and stuff. <laughs> and then it's only when, <laughs> it's only when I was 15. Then that, yeah, I started to kind of loose it up a little bit and I did my first downhill race and I was like, oh, I'm actually kind of good at that. And I went to downhill right away. How did you learn how to loosen up? Because I'm sure lots of people listening, they're definitely the person who's on the brakes. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's hard to let go of the brakes, especially when you're nervous. It is. I think it's, um, I think it's just practice. The more you ride and uh, the more you kind of get confident and confident and you kind of have to... Uh, you have to be willing to go towards the unknown. Like when you, when you bike and you're going to try and you want to improve, then you're going to end up doing some jumps that you never did before. But you're going to have to like conquer your fears and be like, okay, today is the day I'm going to do it. And it might not work. <laughs> it might crash or, you know, but, uh, but that's the only way you can improve. It's by kind of pushing yourself, pushing your limits. Not like big steps, like baby steps. But you have to push your limits step by step. And then at some point, then you, you're good. You're comfortable. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's something people forget is the incremental gains. Like you don't just go launch yourself off some huge jump saying, I'm going to learn to jump today. Exactly. It's like when you come out from an injury. Like, you know, you have a big injury and you are not going to just 
get right back to speed. It's going to be step by step and you have to uh, go through this process. You have to enjoy it. And then if you stay positive, then yes, you're going to be back at your 100% and maybe even beyond, which is great. Yeah. Speaking of injury, you're just coming back from a really yeah. bad knee injury. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like how it happened and how your, <laughs> how your comeback is <laughs> that was a, <laughs> That was a weird one. <laughs> in May, April or May, I was riding in Squamish and... Uh, Basically, I'm super good at the riding really uh, gnarly stuff, uh, really junky, kind of really being precise on the bike. And I kind of figured that I wasn't really showing that to people. Like I was always, you know, I'm trying to race, I'm trying my best, and my be my results weren't going super well at the beginning of the season last year. And I was biking, and I was like, I really want to show that. I really want to show to people that I can ride this shit. <laughs> and uh, so I took uh, I took a few GoPros and I did my first uh, YouTube video. Anyways, I started to be like super comfortable because by doing that, by filming myself and by trying to show to people what I could do on a bike, I was actually trying new things and I was like taking risks and stuff and and I was improving. And my riding in June was yeah, I never felt like that on a bike before. I could ride anything. I was like, okay, you throw me there, I'm gonna find a way to go down. It's gonna be fine. And anyway, so I started a bike ride with some friends. I think it was on the 17th of June. And five minutes in the bike, in the, the bike ride, my, one of my buddies said, Hey, I know this guy and he climbed this skinny and stuff. Maybe uh, we should go check it out. So I was like, yeah, let's go check it out. I want to climb it too. So we go over there and there's this, this kind of skinny, a little bit sketchy. And I'm like, wow, he did that? And I was like, yeah, I think he starts from the top up there. And I was like, okay, well, I think I can start from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so I went and I kind of did this trials move. And then basically I lost the balance, fell from like two meter high with my leg completely extended, le left leg. And when I touched the ground, my knee completely popped out. So I tore my ACL completely. I had a second degree tear on my MCL. And my meniscus was completely uh, torn, completely. So end of the season, and uh, I needed a knee surgery. So that was in uh, at the end of July. So I stayed six weeks on crutches. And uh, after that, it was uh, the start of a big, long uh, rehab. But it was, it was cool. I kind of took it as a positive thing. And I was like, well, you know, like if things happen, they always happen for a reason. So if that happens, then there is something uh, behind. So I started to push photography a little bit more and I kind of got into some really, uh, try, try to do things for the environment. And, uh, so it was, I couldn't ride for seven months, but in my life, there has been like such a big and powerful thing that, that I started that uh, I'm pumped and now I'm starting to bike again and it's, uh, it's great. I'm going to start the season in Colombia for the first CWS. I'm going to be all happy and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be sweet. It's going to be a good season. That's cool. And I love that perspective because, well, number one, like you're really well-rounded. A lot of times people think that racers, all we do is or care about is riding our bike. And that's so cool that that gave you the space to really spend more time exploring all these other things that you love. No, no, it was, uh, it was great. Like, I think that if you see things a little bit positively in your life, then you can, uh, you open yourself and you can see opportunities that can come to you. And, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it's good. It's all good. <laughs> so we were just talking about coming back from an injury and having yeah. to sort of baby step to get your confidence back. Did you feel timid at all or were you just like, no, let's do this? So I just started to bike three weeks ago. Okay. In, uh, in Mexico. So I went down to Mexico and because uh, I tried to ride here during Christmas mm -hmm. in uh, Squamish and it's, it was super wet. There's full of roads. And I went for a bike ride with one of my, one of my friends and I, I like, I didn't feel comfortable at all. I was like, holy shit, that's, uh, this is no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> so we planned to go down to Mexico for the winter a little bit. And I was like, well, I'm just going to wait to be down there. And the trails are super flowy, fast. There's no risk really. And, uh, so I did my first bike ride over there and then my knee is not ready. Like I should not be riding and taking risks right now. Um, so I'm at six months post surgery. And my surgeon said that I should be good at nine months. So season start for first races will be nine months, uh, eight months per surgery. So I will be, I will be okay. I'm not going to be at hundred percent. That's for sure. 
but uh, but it's fine. So yeah, baby step. You don't want to go uh, send a train gap right away. Eh? Like you kind of have to <laughs> go and feel the speed and confidence and stuff, and it's going to come back slowly. Awesome. So you said you started racing downhill when you were 15. And yeah. like, when did you end up leaving France and how did you keep moving forward in your career? It was, a, it was actually a weird uh, thing. So I started to race downhill in, in, uh, when I was 15. So that was when, that was in 98 or something like that. Anyways, or maybe, I don't know. No, before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the calculator? What am I, <laughs> <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> Anyways, in 2004, I became French champion in the uh, elite category. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so I was racing well. I was top 20 in World Cup, which was great. Uh, like constant, top 20. I got top 15 at the World Champ in 2005, I think. And anyways, small injuries, the, the seasons after, 2006, 2007. I was doing some stuff at, pool that I, at school that I didn't really like. I was racing since I was a kid, and it was kind of the same thing all over and over and over again. And I was like, well, you know what? I was at university and I was like, if I fail my exams, I just leave everything and I go to Australia for a year. <laughs> but fail, of course. Yeah, it sounds like motivated <laughs> to fail. <laughs> and uh, which was a win. <laughs> it wasn't a fail. And uh, took a flight ticket, a one-year Australia visa. And I went over there. No bike, no nothing. For a year and a half, I stayed a little bit longer. And it was great. Anyway, I came back to France in 2009 and started to race downhill again. The level was super high. In two years, it was crazy how everything improved. I couldn't pass the quality in World Cup anymore. I was like top 20, top 40 in the French Cup, which was crazy. I was so far back. And um, it started to come back slowly, step by step again. And in 2013, uh, or 2012, 2012, I did my best World Cup result in like, I don't know, five years, six years. Mm -hmm. And I got 32 at uh, the World Cup in uh, Val d'Isol as a privateer. So I was pumped. I was like, okay, it's coming back. Mm -hmm. But then I was like always in small teams and it was just like shitty and no mechanic. And it was kind of the same thing again. And at the end of 2012, I was like ready to go and look for sponsors again, but like it's like tiny things. And uh, I was like, okay. And I started to race in the road a little bit. And I met Maxi Avalanche, Mega Avalanche, and I really liked it. And I was like, okay, maybe I should just go into this enduro thing more and see what's out there because I really enjoy it. So I find some sponsor. Giant Friends gave me two bikes for the season. And that was at the end of 2012 in October at the Rock d'Azur. And one week later, they announced the uh, Enduro World Series. Hmm. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I want to do that. So I was working in the bike shop at the same time. I put some money a little bit on the side. And I did all the series. At the end of the season, I got one top 10 in Enduro World Series. And I signed my first professional contract with uh, Giant. And that was the beginning of my career in 2013. I think I heard this or I read this somewhere. I spent a lot of time stalking you online before this interview. So I know a lot about you <laughs> that you said that that was your first professional contract after 15 years of racing. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And like most people think that, well, number one, like when people see people doing well, like you mentioned, you're a French champion and you're doing well in the World Cups. People assume that you're this, you know, fully sponsored, getting paid tons of money and also, people think, well, if I don't make it after a certain period of time, you know, yeah. five years, 10 years, then I'm just going to quit. And they don't realize that most people have been at it for quite some time before they actually, quote, you know, make it. Yeah, but that, that's more about what are you driven by? Why do you ride? Yeah. Is it just because you want to make it, you want to be sponsored? Or is it because it's a true passion? If it's a true passion, no matter what, you're going to keep riding and you're going to improve. And maybe one day it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you're going to steal bike. There is no, uh, there's no way around it. But if you make it, if you try to be, I don't know, if you ride bikes because you want to be sponsored, which is the case, I think, for a lot of people now, young generation, like they always ask me all the time on Instagram, how do you get sponsored? Well, you, you have to like the whole thing, the whole process. But it's, um, yeah. So for me, it, was, it wasn't uh, like it happened. 
it was great it happened but it would yeah you i would still be riding if it uh, if it was still just a hobby yeah me too and i, I think that that's the key for longevity because a lot of people like you said they get sponsored and then sponsorship doesn't last forever and it's hard it's hard like the sponsorship world is a lot harder than people think yeah and you have to yeah you have to truly just love riding your bike like period yeah when I, so when i went to go back to these days when i was uh, like top 20 in world cup french champion and stuff i wasn't making any money nothing zero i was just getting bikes free stuff and i was paying for my race fees for my travels for everything it was pretty uh, it was pretty insane yeah now there is a little bit more money into biking. I think 2004 and this kind of time was a little bit, it was super hard. But I think that right now there is a little bit more money. Like I'm making one million a year, so it's okay. No, <laughs> That's <joking>. all? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, uh, I think it's a little bit, uh, it's better. Now. Yeah, yeah, awesome. <laughs> we can buy food at the end of the month and stuff, it's okay. You can feed it your works. baby. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, she eats pasta. That's all she eats. It's okay. It's not. Uh, it's not expensive. Oh, she's cheap. Okay, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, she has no choice. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely want to get into that, but I want to talk about your personality on the race course. Like you've been racing for so long, have you been the same type of crazy, excited, energetic, fun personality the whole time, or has that kind of come out over time as you've gotten more confident? I've always been crazy. Like I remember when I was at school, my teacher were calling me the clown because I just uh, I was just a clown. <laughs> there was no, <laughs> I couldn't stay quiet. But I wasn't. I was a really nice kid when I was at school. I wasn't really, you know, like the guy that's gonna be a little bit annoying and stuff. I was just goofing around. That was me. So yeah, I've always been pretty crazy, and I think that uh, I think in Australia when I left France and I went to Australia, I kind of. I really wanted to discover myself and I really wanted to discover the limit. Where was my limit? Where, where is it? And I never really found it. (laughs) 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 But there's no limit. (laughs) So yeah, I'm not scared. I'm not scared about stuff. I, I'm not scared to be uh, ridiculous. I'm not scared about anything. So it's all good. Yeah. I kind of, I can do, I like to make fun of myself. I I really love it. And it's great. It keeps me young. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think like, being able to just be yourself and not be worried about it. Like not everybody feels okay. You know, it, people feel really nervous being themselves. Mm. What advice do you have for people who do feel nervous? Maybe just kind of letting themselves go and just, you know, not worrying as much what people think or just, just being, th- being them. But maybe they just have to try. <laughs> <laughs> just try once. And it's going to feel great. No, it's uh, I think that if you are not yourself in life, then you suffering. Yeah. And yeah, there's only one way to be happy. I think that's actually the key for happiness is to be really yourself and to be true to yourself, to stay true to your words and to your heart. I think that being yourself is actually key in life for uh, happiness, for this whole thing. Life is a little bit deep. You know, I really believe in life and I re- I'm really, I have a really strong spiritual uh, side of me that nobody really uh, knows about. I believe that there is something kind of super powerful and, uh, being true to yourself and connected to your heart is key for being uh, free and happy. Tell us more about the spiritual side of yourself that you don't talk about. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> well, there's nothing much to know. <laughs> I don't know what you want to talk about. <laughs> well, like, how did you connect with that side of yourself? Because, I mean, it takes time to get there. So, very simple. My mom is a yoga teacher. And uh, she has been a yoga teacher since a long time. And basically, like really spiritual, but not the really spiritual, annoying spiritual <laughs> way. You know, like some people like to be spiritual, but it's kind of like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, she kind of taught me that. And when I came back from Australia, I went really deep into yoga. It kind of saved me from some stuff that I did in Australia. I think people know, but... <laughs> I went deep into yoga. I took my first initiation to become a yoga teacher and uh, I received my uh, spiritual name. <laughs> what is it? My... Bindu. Bindu. Bindu is the chakra uh, that you have on top of your head. Anyways, okay. that's, so cool. that's my spiritual name. I'm Bindu. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then I kind of, I left that a little bit on the side. 
because at the time I had this girlfriend and she kind of got scared and her parents got scared and like, holy shit, Johan is kind of going into yoga. What is it? It's kind of weird. It's not a job. It's, uh, you know, like it was kind of weird, but it was just yoga. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of, I got a little bit uh, sidetracked by that and um, he came back this summer, well, last summer, when uh, I got my surgery. And I had this guy, Ed, who is a breathwork practitioner and a meditation teacher. And he knew me and stuff. And he kind of, I saw him one day and he was like, oh, Johan, uh, you should come to me and I do this breathwork technique. It's going to be good for racing and stuff. And you should, you should come check it out. And then Katrina booked me a session with him. So I went and I did this breathwork thing. And I was like, well, when we finished after an hour, I kind of looked at him and I was like, wow, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> like you really like when you do a breath work basically you're going to really connect to yourself it's like meditation but when you really focus on your breath you you are actually really going to meditate you are not going to you know kind of sometimes people think that they meditate but they go kind of you know they follow their mind and they're going to think about what they're going to eat tonight and <laughs> they're calm they are super calm which is great but they are not really meditating but when you focus on your breath like that, you really connect to yourself and you really go deep inside your subconscious. And there is some crazy stuff that can come out, which was pretty amazing. So I had a few really deep experiences with him. And then he told me that he was doing a retreat in Pemberton, a five-day retreat. So I was like, okay, I'm going. And that was in October. So I went, five-day retreat, no cell phone, no nothing, just five days with doing that with a bunch of people. And I experienced like something that was... Uh, yeah, I didn't want to leave. I, want, I was over there after the fifth day and I was like, I don't want to leave. This is my place. This is me. I'm, I'm feeling myself. I'm kind of, and so I, I left and I really wanted to keep that with me. So every day now when I wake up, I do some Qigong. I do some breath work a little bit. It doesn't take long. You don't have to do a long time. You can do 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Then you can extend half an hour, an hour. But anyways, I do, I do half an hour every day. And during the day, I do some kind of, some little breathwork session to myself. And I'm starting to give some session to people to practice because that's a way, that's something that I would like to do in the future. Not now, but I would like to maybe be, become a practitioner. Cool. So it's good. And like, what did that open up? Like, what did you learn about yourself? Because you said that it felt really good and you came to come back to that and you found new side of yourself. Well, I really realized that for, um, I think that for a long time, and I think that's, uh, men do that we really like to hold things we don't really speak out you know like we kind of we keep things inside and that's a man thing that's like oh, that's our power we don't show our emotions we are strong we're really strong <laughs> but it's actually a super weakness <laughs> it's it's being super weak to do that and basically by doing that you kind of you trap frustrations angers and stuff like that and layers over layers over layers and at some point you, you, you boiling and you, uh, and you're going to explode. You know what I mean? And I think that's what I've realized. I was like, holy shit, but I've been doing that for so long. Like I've never really told my truth to people, you know, like I, I never really done that even in my relationships and everything. I never done it. And now speaking my truth and being true to myself, like always with kindness, but it's, uh, like it's the best thing ever for me. And I, uh, I love it. There's no way I'm going to go back to that old part of myself. I'm, I want to be there in this phase now and going towards that. That's awesome. And like, what does Katrina think? She likes it. I'm doing a big work on myself and she's doing the same on her, on her side. And it's great. It's cool. I love that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. So I want to ask you what it means to be Borelli. So it's like, be Borelli. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's be happy, be free, be Borelli. And to be Barely, for me, I created this hashtag on Instagram it's, and it was just to, uh, you know, people like to say, hey, Johan, where do you get uh, this energy from? How are you so happy all the time? How are you so positive all the time? And, uh, well, it's not all the time. Like, and <laughs> I have to admit, <laughs> it's not all the time like that. <laughs> I have some phases where, phases where I can be pretty run down and depressed and yeah, it happens. But uh, I always try to see the positive side of things. So be Barely is... Uh, Bibarelli is a way, it's a way of life. <laughs> it's the Barelli's way. <laughs> Don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so have yeah. you ever like 
tried to decode how you're so positive because people have asked me that like oh how do you do these these races and stay so positive and for years I was thinking about it and I started doing my own like you know reverse engineering of myself so have you have you done that to figure out how you are so positive most of the time well I think it's because I know that in any situations in any situation in life where even when you are in the worst shit ever you're gonna find a solution there's always a solution always so you don't have to stress about this kind of stuff. You don't have to really be stressed about it. You're gonna, the thing is gonna end up going pretty well at some point. There's no way around it. And um, I don't know, my brain stopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what you're saying is like not trying to control everything. You exactly. Know? Not try to control everything, anything, and to also know that there's always a positive side uh, in anything, even in the bad situations. You're always going to learn. And it's by failing, what we call failing. I don't like to the word fail because for me, failing is to not try. If you don't try anything, if you have your, if your art is telling you to do something, do that, do that, do that, and you don't do it, that's for me, that's failing. That's a complete failure. But in a really hard situation, like you, for example, you have a goal and you want to win a race and you show up at the start of a race, you do 100 meters, boom, you have a flat tire. <gasps> oh my God. What do you do? You're going to quit or you're going to fix your fucking tire and go back on your bike and that's a new race. So you have to kind of be like, okay, well, now that's a complete new start. I'm like hundreds, like I'm back, far back in the ranking. Then either you're going to try to get the most out of it and be super happy and be positive and be like, okay, now I'm going to go back, go back into the ranking or you're going to make the show for people or, you know, like there is different ways to, to act. But (laughs) I will make the show for people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's always a learning experience, always. And you always learn a lot in this kind of situation, which so it's great. Be happy all the time. <laughs> be happy, be, be me. Yeah, and it, it, it is a skill to learn how to look for the, the positive because we always have a choice, um, you know, when something happens. Like you just said, you could have a flat tire in the first 100 meters and say, well, my race is over. This sucks. Like I'm not, I'm not having fun anymore and just be totally negative and that's a choice. Or you could choose to have fun and like rally up the spectators or like have the opportunity to just keep being the best you can be so that you're proud of what you did. And, and it- when you do that, there is a story at the end, you know, like there is a cool story that you can share with people. And it's great, you know, like it's charge of positive, uh, like a positive vibe. And that's what I like to do. Yeah. And it's, it's a skill. Like, I think that it takes repeated practice to be able to do that. Cause I mean, I, <laughs> I, I'm usually pretty good at that, but there is this race I was at in uh, Argentina and, oh, I was so mad because I knew that we're, we're supposed to ride over this volcano, but it was snowing and I knew that we weren't going to be able to, but the race guy wanted to start anyway. So we ended up riding like three hours out on this stupid road. And then we got to the volcano and had to turn around and ride back. And I knew that was going to happen. And I was so <laughs> mad. And, and this was a case where I couldn't stay positive. And yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, it's really funny. But I was like yelling. I was just like so mad. <laughs> I think I read that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that, That's the only time. That was, that was last year, no? No, it was uh, no, probably it was three, three, three or four years ago. But yeah, I was so mad. Okay. But. Yeah. And I mean, even if you're like skilled at being positive or like you're used to being positive, sometimes you just get mad. Yeah. No, it happens. <laughs> it's okay. And it's okay to be like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do when you get nervous? Like, how do you deal with nerves? Do you get nervous before a race or nervous before like having to have a conversation with somebody? Just like nerves. I don't get nervous. I think it would be more stressed. Is it mm-hmm. the same thing? Nervous and stressed? similar yeah i don't don't know (laughs) i think nervous is really like when you're like i don't know but anyways but yeah stress when so how i deal with uh, nerves and stress well pretty bad actually (laughs) 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 like sometimes i find myself when uh, i'm at the start of a race if i put too much pressure on myself i'm going to be at the start thinking about the outcome which means the result and most of the time like i know that for me it's not going to work like it's the bad stress and I'm going to race super tight and I'm not going to enjoy myself and it's going to be shitty. So how do I deal with that? Most of the time I did one or two stages like that to be like, okay, Johan, now you have to kind of to relax a little bit. The race is a new race and start to enjoy yourself. And normally when I start to enjoy myself, to have fun, 
that's when I race uh, the best. But yeah, I'm not. Uh, I think that to deal with stress, I don't know, it requires a lot of. Uh, I don't know. You need to practice that, and that's something I'm not really good at. And but I I will know how to not be stressed in the first place, and that would be by not putting a. You know, like an outcome. Well, if you are a racer, is to not put like a, a result as a goal, because you can't control how people, the other people are going to race. It's only you that you can control. So you can be like, okay, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to focus on like my breaking points before every corner. I'm going to focus on looking super far ahead, and you're just going to go with the flow. And that's when you actually you are in the moment and you you are good. But yeah, focusing on the outcome is shit. Doesn't work. Yeah, and and we all do it. <laughs> we all and we all do it. Like it's yeah. crazy. Like we've been racing for I don't know how long, and we all do it. Like, like sometimes you're like, dude, it's been twenty years now. <laughs> Why are you still doing that? Anyways, yeah, it's funny. Racing is funny. Yeah, and along those same lines, I did. I actually want to do more enduro, but I, I did one year where I said, okay, I'm going to do like three of these enduro blind enduro stage races. Yeah. I had never even ridden a trail bike before. I never worn pads and I went to New Zealand for trans New Zealand. And I like, I literally still had tags on my, my knee pads. Yeah. It's a long story, but it was awesome. And I learned about myself that I'm really bad at like letting go whenever I make a mistake. And oh, I had yeah. this, and I had this idea that I have to like be perfect on the downhills. And I, you know, if you screw yeah. up a corner, then you're just like thinking about the corner and then the next corner comes up and now you're screwing up the next corner. And I think and a lot, a chain of yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and a lot of us do that and you can apply that off the bike as well. Mm. Like if you start making mistakes, you start focusing on all your mistakes instead of what's yeah. coming next. Yeah, so, yeah. but it's really hard to let that go. So like, what advice do you have on letting that go? <sighs> I don't know. Well, at the end of the day, it's just a bike race. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You're yeah. not going to save lives or like at the, in the scale of life and what's important and not really important. I think that biking is not really important. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We're just on bikes having fun. So you can, that would be my way to kind of be like, okay, well, it's fine. Just let it go. You gotta, you're going to ride your bike. Just connect to the moment. You're going to have fun. That's your passion. Just go for it. Have a blast. That's what I do when I'm taking something too seriously as well. I tell myself like, this is like the tiniest speck in the world of things going exactly. on right now. And like, nobody cares except for me. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's funny. Okay. So I want to move on a little bit. I want to talk about like some of the other things that you brought up earlier with what you've been able to do with your time being injured, like the trash pickup that you were doing on the side of the highway like what inspired that? And yeah, just tell us about that. <laughs> so the trash picking on the side of the airway, that's super, uh, I don't know, it's kind of random. I was driving to, uh, I always been kind of attached to uh, doing my best and uh, the, the environment and everything. And uh, I stopped eating meat because of that, because I can't support animal cruelty. I can't kill an animal. So why would I eat an animal that's being killed in like really bad conditions? That's kind of really, uh, doesn't really work. So I stopped doing that for that. Anyways, I was driving to Pemberton and, uh, to take photos. And the guy in front of me in his truck tossed his, uh, Tim Horton plastic cup out of his window. And I kind of, I was like, dude, we are in 2019 and people still do that. Like I couldn't believe it. And I was so mad. I started to look, I was driving, started to look on the side of the road and I was like, oh, there's so many trash. There's so many garbage. It's insane. So it's like, I don't know. It was, it was crazy. So I got to Pemberton. I was so mad at the guy and I was like, fucking hell. I wanted to punch him in the face. Which, um, <laughs> did, you, did you find him? <laughs> I didn't find him. <laughs> Too bad. But then I was like, wow, wait a second. It got me so mad and angry and everything. And I didn't do anything about it. Like I didn't stop to pick it up. I didn't do anything. I just, just blamed this guy. I just pointed the finger at him and telling him that he was a douchebag and everything. But I didn't do anything about it. And I was like, wow, that's actually what we do right now in the world. We just point the finger at people. Oh, you are not doing this. You are not doing that. Blah, 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 blah. But nobody does anything. We just point the finger, the finger at people. And that's what the government does. They just like blame the other party and be like, wow, we are not going to do that. <laughs> Anyways, we are not going anywhere. Like, are we going somewhere? No. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I have a little bit of time in my hands. <laughs> 
I can do something about it. So that was a Saturday night and uh, I posted something on Instagram. I was like, guys, this is what happened. I want to do something about it. Monday, we're going to meet and we're going to pick up garbage on the side of the highway. I made the pickup, uh, the meeting point and everything, the time. I have 175,000 followers on Instagram. I was like, okay, there is like at least 20 people who are going to show up. Monday, one person showed up. <laughs> oh, really? One person. We were like, okay, it's fine. We're going to pick up some uh, garbage bags and we're going to move along the highway, pick up some garbage. In three hours, we picked up 350 kilos of garbage. It was 25 wow. full garbage bags in less than 1.5 kilometers. It was insane. That's crazy. One point, yeah, it was crazy. And that's in between Pemberton, uh, Whistler and Pemberton. It's not even Whistler. It's like the road where nobody goes. And it was that early. You know, like, holy shit, that's kind of crazy. Anyways, we made some maths and we're like, okay, well, so let's say that this is an average. There's some places in the world on the side of the road that are pretty dirty, some places that are less dirty. So let's say that it's an average. So we made a little uh, statistics, did some research on Google, <laughs> and there is 76 or 67 billions or millions kilometers of roadside in the world. Okay. And we're like, okay, well, I made some stats and da da da. And that's 7.6 billions kilos of garbage roadside in the world. That's insane. 7.6 wow. billions kilos of garbage roadside in the world. Kilograms, yeah. So Kilograms. for the pounds, people multiply by 2.2. <laughs> yeah, insane. And like, okay, well, what about if everybody right now in the world, everybody at the same time start to pick up all this garbage, how long do they have to walk? How many meters? Anyways, each person will only have to walk 8.8 .8 meters. It will only take 45 seconds to clean everything, and we will have to pick up wow. one person, 750 grams of garbage, which is nothing. So which the point is that if everybody, if everybody does a little bit, then we can change the fucking world, and we don't have to wait for big uh, corporations or uh, government or everything to do stuff. We can do it, and that was, uh, and that's great. So, it's, so that was, it started here. And then the next week, we did another one, and we were five. Next week, we did another one, we were 15. Then the next week, we were 20. And the next week, we were 40. And it kept oh, on wow. growing until the snow came. We had to stop. But in the spring, we're going to do some big, big ones. It's coming. And big news, I'm bringing this garbage pickup to all the EWS this year. And every round of the EWS... We're going to meet up one day before the event, like a Tuesday before the event. Everybody shows up one week before. So pros, amateurs, locals, we're all going to get together and we're going to do some garbage pickup all together. What they do in the, at the surf, uh, the World Surf League, they all do that, the pros. That's cool. Yeah. So EWS, is, uh, they are in it. All the organizers in the EWS are also in it. They are super happy to do it. Now we're just going to figure out what day works the best for each event and stuff. But it's going to happen. It's happening. It's cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, someone asked of the listener questions, how can others organize successful trash pickup projects? Well, super easy. I think you need to find a good spot where there is a lot of garbage. Otherwise, people are going to be pretty disappointed. <laughs> so the good spots are side of the road. Parking lots, parking lots is crazy. People just like, they park their car and they throw their shit out of the window. So that's super easy. And so find a good spot where there is a lot of garbage and you just have to announce it on Facebook. Now everybody on Facebook have like villages, pages or blah, 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 community stuff. So you just post it over there. People are going to respond and uh, social network. I think that right now we have with Instagram, Facebook and all this kind of stuff, then we can use this platform for a good reason now, I think, instead of just promoting uh, self-shit. Sh self <laughs> yeah. We can use it for a good thing. <laughs> yeah, now we, now we have to talk about Instagram, and I love like what you're doing on there. And for people who don't know, like you've posted some fun pictures. I think they're fun pictures of yourself, where you're basically naked, but you just can't see like you know that one spot. No, yeah. <laughs> And, and then Instagram like bans you and there's a double standard with that. And it actually really pissed me off because there's lots of women basically posting nude pictures of themselves. And it's a whole other nerve okay. for me when they like use hashtag MTB and it's like some picture of a girl and there's not even like a bike with it. That, that pisses me off too. But like Instagram keeps shutting you down whenever you're posting those pictures. But I don't even think that they're like 
nudity. So yeah, w- what's up with that? Well, so there is one thing. First thing is that it's not Instagram banning me. It's people oh. that are actually reporting me. Oh, like your so followers. It's mountain, so it's mountain bikers that are actually <laughs> reporting me. <laughs> That's the funny thing. But anyway, so the, the other thing is that always when I post a picture of myself naked, there is, especially now these days, I'm going to try to promote like a nice message. And last time on Monday, he was actually talking about food, nutrition. And people ask me, what do you, what do you eat? How do you like, you know, all this, now that you kind of plant-based diet, how do you get all your proteins and everything? So it was actually like a really constructive text with a really nice message at the end that everybody has his own way and I can't really help. Like I don't have like a formula that's going to fit everybody. The people have to kind of try to find their way. It was a nice message and I got shut down. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. And then today, uh, <laughs> and then today <laughs> I posted a photo <laughs> of a naked woman. <laughs> But it was on Instagram. It's, it's, no, it's like a photo that I found on Insta, on internet, on Instagram. And now we're going to see if I get uh, shut down as well. But it, it's cool because so some people are completely like they are unfollowing me. They are like, no, we don't want to see that, blah, 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 blah. They don't want to see nude. And that's fine. And some people have been pretty upset also when I was doing all this trash pickup, garbage pickup, because I wasn't talking about bikes all the time. And I think that on my Instagram and my Facebook, on my, all my social media, I think there is something that's at the top that says Johan Barili. And Johan Barili is a mountain bike rider. He's also someone that takes care of the planet. He's also an happy guy who is kind of spiritual. He's also a dad. He's also, uh, you know, I have all these things in my life. And Johan Barili is all of that. I'm not just a mountain bike uh, rider. This page, these pages, are not just for mountain bike. This is my job. This is my passion. This, but this is not the only thing that I'm going to promote. So yeah, it's fine. They are unfollowing me. They are unfollowing me. It's all good. <laughs> I even made this joke today. <laughs> I started this fundraiser for Australia for the wildfire over there, which are like I created this fundraiser. So if you guys want to donate some money, it would be great because they it's just the middle of the summer over there in Australia. The fires are still growing and it's kind of crazy what's happening over there. So let's uh, help a little bit over there. But anyways, today, so I was losing a shit ton of followers and I was like, okay, guys, if I get below that, <laughs> I will give $500 to the white fire. <laughs> and uh, I think I did. I got below, uh, I lost uh, 1,000 followers today, <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway, <laughs> but it's kind of cool because now my followers are my real followers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like me for who i am yeah. which is great. it's even better and i love like your perspective on instagram followers because it's tough like you can get all like weird about your instagram followers and like i admit like i've lost in the last month i've lost over 500 followers because i've been posting more about being pregnant because you're pregnant <laughs> yeah and i'm like losing followers and part of me is like kind of bummed about that but then part of me thinks it, i'm like it's stupid it's instagram like who cares yeah. So I like your lighthearted attitude about it. And I think that more people need to take your example, including myself sometimes. So yeah, yeah thank you for yeah. being open about that. But I, I kind of, you know, sometimes I'm kind of, I'm frustrated about it sometimes. But it, at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, this is just like Instagram. And, and Instagram, people have to know that Instagram is not going to measure your popularity outside of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when I go to the bike park, for example, and I see uh, all these people coming to me and asking me for those photos and selfie and blah, 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 and signing stuff. This is for me. This is the real, uh, this is what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for likes on a photo. I don't give a shit. If I want more likes, I have some uh, technique. Now I can post uh, a nude of a woman <laughs> and I know that I'm going to get a shit ton of likes. <laughs> I could do that. But anyways, that's not life. The Instagram is not life. And how do your yeah. sponsors feel about all of this? Or do they do they I care? Don't <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they like the nude photos. <laughs> probably do. I think for the most part, they like what I do because I'm really myself. And I know that no matter what, I'm really going to promote what they are and their brands with my art. Because now I'm not in a team. 
And all the, all the partners that I have are the partners that really like what I do and the partners that I really like. So we really work together. So they know that when they have a new product or something that I really like, I'm going to talk about it the best way I can. And it's going to be true. You know what I mean? So I think they know that. They all know that. Awesome. I want to talk just a little bit about plant-based. It sounds like you initially stopped eating meat because of animal cruelty. But I think it's awesome right now that in the financial world, there's a lot of things happening to go more green, uh, mm. carbon offset. And then you're seeing it with like celebrities with like the Golden Globes and all of those things. And yeah, like plant-based for the environment. I mean, I initially changed my diet for health, but I had a PhD oceanographer from Cornell on the podcast and we talked all about the environment and how eating less animal products is the best thing that you can do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. And I, I think that what you were just saying earlier about we see someone throw garbage or you ride your bike on the trail and you see a garbage on the trail and you don't pick it up. Like taking action is so important. And I think that leading by example is the best way to do that. So like for you, how has that impacted you? Like when, whenever you started changing your diet and the I don't know if you're fully plant-based and it doesn't really matter if you're fully plant-based or not to me, but how has that transition been in your life? So it's been a slow transition. First of all, I wanted to stop meat for a long time. And then I was like, okay, I think now is the time. But it hasn't been this like, boom, big cut. I was still eating a little bit of fish here and there. And then uh, meat, where I, when I really knew where the meat was coming from, and then slowly at some point I was like, well, I'm still killing an animal and I, I don't want that. So I kind of completely stopped fish, meat, all this stuff. And, uh, and yeah, now I'm, I'm no, I don't even miss it. You know, it's kind of, it's simple. And vegan recipes are seriously delicious. There is some crazy cookbooks out there that are, wow, you do, everything in the cookbook is like delicious. <laughs> so it's uh, going vegan is actually you eat really well and it's uh, tasty and everything. So it's great. I like food. Um, <laughs> and no, I think it's important for the planet right now. Even, you know, like right now there is this big climate change thing going on. And I'm not a scientist. You know, I'm not like really qualified in this kind of stuff. I think it's pretty easy to see that the, cl the climate is changing. Are we actually the cause of it all? Maybe not. I don't know. Like right now, I know that if you go on the internet and you want to try some stuff that says the climate change is real and we are the cause of the problem, you're going to find some stuff. If you Google some stuff, they're going to try to uh, be the opposite and be like, the climate change doesn't exist. It's a bullshit, but you're going to find some stuff. So there is a little bit of everything out there. But I know that it's happening. And there is also some other stuff, not even talking about climate change. There is some uh, wars everywhere in the world. We are killing animals like crazy with like, and they die in like, I don't know, like it's, it's not even, uh, there's videos out there. If you want to go watch, go watch, do some research, but you'll see it's everywhere the same and organic is the same and they are all the same. And it's kind of, it's crazy. We, we kill the planet slowly and this is stuff that we can see. Climate change, we can't really see it, but this, we can see it. It's there. And I think we can do some stuff about that. And I think that's really important. And I think that's one of the reasons why the world is not going around really is because there is all these things happening and we don't really, uh, you know, we don't really do anything about it. I don't know why. I don't know why we can't wake up a little bit and I don't know why we can be like, okay, I'm going to take actions and I don't want to be part of that anymore. Why can't we do that? I think it's because people think that just their, what they do won't make a difference. Like, if you want to use diet as an example, they're like, well, they're going to kill the cow or the chicken anyway. So why should I stop eating it? Like, it's not going to make a difference, but it does but it make a difference. Come, but it has to come from us. If everybody stops eating chicken, then do you think that the factories are still going to produce chicken? Yeah, no, I agree. They're going <laughs> to, yeah, like it's kind of a weird way of thinking that thing. But I, do, I think that the movement has to start from us. Like big corporations, they're only going to follow what we demand. So they are, they are making a shit ton of money. Why would they stop? Yeah. And I can't remember the stat, but the dairy, like a lot of people are not drinking as much dairy, like milk. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's actually in the last two or three years, dairy production in the dairy industry has lost like millions and millions of dollars because of the choices people have made to stop drinking dairy. So yeah, yeah like one person can make a difference and you do make a difference. And then there's yeah. the ripple effect of your choices too. 
like for you, like you've inspired lots of people to probably eat less meat and pick up garbage and like be more aware of, you know, fires, like all the things that you're doing, you're one person, but there's a huge ripple effect that happens. And then, mm-hmm. the, then, then those people, all their people, all their people like realize it. No, so yeah, it's, it makes a difference. Cool. Yeah. It's big. There's a movement starting. We are, we are doing something. Yeah. We're doing it. <laughs> We're doing it. <laughs> no, it's good. And for me, this is kind of my goal now in life. Like, you know, winning races, like for a long time, I was like, okay, my goal in life is to win races. I want to be world champ. But yes, I want to do it. I want to win a race. <laughs> I want to win an EWS one day. But is that going to be the end? No. <laughs> that's going to be just one thing that's going to satisfy my uh, ego. But my purpose in life is uh, way more than just uh, winning a race. And I'm going towards that. And it's great. It's cool. And I think for people listening, like it's normal to have sort of this rite of passage where you want to win and you Mm want to prove to people that you're good or you want to prove to yourself. And then I think like once you get through a certain number of races or events or or maybe maybe it's at work, you want to like achieve a certain amount of things at work. Once you feel like you've done a certain amount, then it becomes more about a purpose bigger than yourself. So if you're not if you're not there yet, that's okay, And you will get there. But and it's uh, and we have phases in life. Like a 20 year old is not going to be, uh, you know, like he's not going to have the same experience as a 35 year old. It's true. <laughs> yeah. It's like you have different phases and then a 20 year old, like I completely understand that there is a bunch of pro racers that are 20, 25 and they don't give a shit about what I'm doing for a garbage pickup because their, their focus is to race and to win and that's fine, but they're going to get there at some point. I hope. Now you're <laughs> right. an, now you're an so. old wise man. Now I'm, I'm really old. I need a cane. My knee is broken. Be old. Be Borelli. Be, be old. Be, be wise. <laughs> While I'm an old goat. <laughs> <laughs> so, how has being a dad changed you? It, it made me more organized. It made me more organized. It made me realize that uh, life is not only me, 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 me. There's, uh, <laughs> there's another person to take care of. And uh, really patient because you have to be super patient when you're, uh, when you're a dad, when you are a parent. And oh, it's great. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, when I see my... Uh, now, Anna is, is two-year-old, a little bit more now. But uh, yeah, she's, she's amazing. It's so good. Like, it's so cool to see her grow and discovering things and stuff. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the best thing ever. I love it. It's That's cool. so fun. Yeah. And I bet that, like, something I'm excited about, like, I'm my own version of goofy crazy over here. And I can't wait to just, like, be that with my kid. Like, I love, <laughs> I'm a total goofball. And kids are too, because they don't care what people think. So they're just like, rah! <laughs> They are completely, they have no filters, kid. They don't have the barrier that we can put on ourselves sometimes that I'm trying to take out. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they are like that, you know, they don't care. They're going to say things, boom, just like that. Oh, you, you just say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's super cool. It's great. And he, I think it keeps you young, you know, like it keeps you uh, like this goofball that you are. Then you're going to be that for a long time more. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's get to listener questions. Some of them I interspersed already in the show. So the first one is pretty awesome. Do you really have three balls? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You do for real. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and and someone else says if he does really have three balls, what are the advantages and disadvantages of it? <laughs> well, then you have to find solution to ride your bike. That's why I put <laughs> my brake levers flat. And that's uh. Do you know that or did no. you see that? No. Well, you, have to, you, have to, you, have to, you have to do some research. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't stalk you well enough, apparently. One day, basically, mm-hmm. one day I did. Um, so I ride with my brake lever super flat, okay? Really flat. And always people ask me, why do you ride with your brake lever like that? That is it's not really uh, hurting your wrist and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, so I explain, no, because when you hold your brakes like that, super low, then you have to hold your handlebars with your tumbler, then you get arm pump and blah, blah, blah. And if you ride with your brake lever flat, you rest your palm of your hand on the handlebar and you can actually rest a little bit more. Anyways, one day I got super, uh, super bored of seeing the same uh, answer over and over and over and over again that uh, I was doing an interview and a bike check, which a bike check with Pink Bike and they asked me that. So why do you ride with your brake lever like that? And... I have a lot of ideas. I'm someone with a lot of ideas. And suddenly, 
Ding! Idea! <laughs> and I was like, okay, you really want to know? So I was like, well, <laughs> basically, I'm uh, disabled. That's what I say to them. I'm disabled. And, we're like, and Mike Levy was kind of looking at me. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I have a, like, uh, a problem. That's actually pretty uh, hard for me to say. It's going to be the first time that I say that in front of a, the camera and everything. And, and you, they were kind of looking at me. And they're like, what is he fucking going to say? <laughs> <laughs> like well i have three balls I was like what <laughs> so so when i sit with my brakes lever low my third ball gets stuck onto my seat <laughs> but if i put my brake levers flat it pulls up the, the ball cable and my third ball goes up and it doesn't stay stuck in the stick anymore so anyways it kind of came out and then i did a youtube video about it and blah blah, blah and it kind of got viral and everybody now says that i have three balls that everybody knows i have three balls so there is no, yeah, there is some disadvantage because you have to find solutions to be riding your bike properly. <laughs> I'm, disa <laughs> I'm disabled. I should race in the uh, handicap category. <laughs> <laughs> and the advantage is that uh, I'm creating a brand around that. So brand it's awareness. <laughs> no, a brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm creating, I'm actually creating a brand and then there is a brand that's going to be called Three Balls that's going to come out soon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Is it an underwear brand? <laughs> it's going to be a bunch of things. It's going to be cool. It's going okay. to come out. Yeah. Awesome. Someone says, where do you get your Manscaped razors? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a bunch. There's a bunch in the market. You go to any, uh, any stores and then you can find them. Just go buy them. <laughs> Just go buy them. They are there. <laughs> do some research. Someone says, why do the French dislike Americans? What? Yeah, that's what they said. Why did the French dislike Americans? <laughs> no. I don't know. That's. A, I think that's a myth. No, I don't think so. I think actually French, but people that I know and when I grew up, people were actually pretty pumped about America. You know, like people think, uh, yeah, let's go to America, let's go to the States and, uh, you know, freedom and everything. And yeah, people actually, yeah, live the dream and people actually really like America. So maybe, I don't think maybe Americans started this stereotype. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but it's not true. I don't think that uh, French don't like American. I think we actually like it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one is, uh, how do you not have any fear while riding? It might be your third ball. I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's the power of the third ball. <laughs> I actually, no, I have uh, fears when I ride, especially when I'm going to try something that I have never tried before. I'm always a little bit scared and it's normal to feel fears. But it doesn't have to be, uh, like if I'm really scared of something and if I don't feel it, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to wait a little bit. It means that I'm not ready and I'm, I don't want to eat shit and get injured a lot. And uh, so I'm just going to wait. And maybe next time it's going to be the, the good day. But fears, I think that everybody feels, uh, everybody is scared in life. Everybody feels fears. And it's fine. It's all good. Cool. What is life in Canada like compared to France? Well, there is more space. There's way more space. There is huge forest. It's more green. Well, it depends. The Alps are green. Pyrenees are green. I think that the lifestyle suits me better. It's more about outdoor sports. Like the community is more like being outside. And in France, it's more about working. I think that in Canada, people are actually basing their job with the amount of time out that they're going to get. And in France, it's the opposite. You're going to work out work super hard and you're only going to get a few hours to play and that's fine it's just uh, the lifestyle suits me better it's uh, yeah just the way it is it's good in tuto tuesday style how excited are you about the colombian race oh i'm super pumped about that <laughs> <laughs> no i'm super super pumped about that colombia was like one of the highlights of all the ews that we ever had and uh, no, I'm super, super pumped to go back to Colombia. First race in uh, almost 10 months after my injury. Yeah. And the vibe over there is just amazing. It's yeah. so good. I'm really excited to be over there and experience that again. It's going to be great. What's the date of that race? I don't even know. Or, or what month? It's at the end of March. I think it's oh. the 28th. 28th okay. of March. Oh, it's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah. A month and a half. A little bit more. All right, I'll pick one more. Why is he the one of the coolest dudes on earth? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cute. <laughs> Thank you for the person who wrote that. I don't know. Am I? I don't think I am. Yeah, I think you are. 
<laughs> well, thank you, you too. <laughs> no, I don't know. I uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. Because maybe I'm following my heart and I'm myself. Maybe. I think that's, yeah. And somebody else said like, what to do to be a good writer and a good person. And I think that we basically spent the entire podcast talking about that. Talking about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Where can people find you online? They can find me on Instagram. They, can, they might find a few nude photos somewhere. Here, They'll here go report there. you. <laughs> They're going to report me. <laughs> I'm going to be banned again. No, on, the, on Instagram, Facebook, I'm creating a website soon that's going to come out for my brand, Free Balls. And yeah, that's it. And on your website, on your show. Awesome. Cool. So thanks okay. so much. I loved it. It was really fun. Thank you so much. I hope you guys got a lot out of that. Johan is a character and I had such a great time talking with him. If you want to hear more, he's been on the Downtime podcast a couple of times and Pink Bike has done lots of interviews and videos with him. So you can check those out linked up in the show notes. Don't forget to check out his YouTube channel and his Instagram where he is most active and you will be entertained for sure. Thank you for supporting my work financially on Patreon and on PayPal with a couple bucks a month that you guys have been donating. It really does help cover the costs of the show and putting out a podcast is actually a lot more expensive than one would think, but it's totally worth it. So thank you so much. Wishing you all the best in your training and adventures and we'll see you right back here next week.